For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject our spiritual journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. This is part 18 of the series. We can see how Paul explained that believers in Messiah is to put off the world and the ways of the world and put on Messiah, to be obedient to him, his Torah, his commandments, and to dedicate our lives to his kingdom and the service of his kingdom from Colossians chapter 3 verses 9 through 12 and verse 14 as it is written, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfectness or spiritual maturity. So, on Yom Kippur, the high priest wore white garments. White garments represent clothes of purity, righteousness, and the wedding dress of Yeshua's bride. In Job chapter 29 verse 14 it is written, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. In Psalm 132 verse 9 it is written, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. We can see how the bride of Yeshua wears white. From Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Yeshua explained in Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 that those that overcome, that is, the world, the ways of the world, the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and carnal thinking, wears white. So in Revelation chapter 3 verse 5, Yeshua taught, He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. White represents the righteous acts or the righteous deeds or the righteous behaviors of the saints. Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 it is written, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. The promised land in going to Jerusalem or Mount Zion is the conclusion of coming out of Egypt. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there, that is Egypt, that he might bring us in, that is to the promised land, to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. When Yeshua brought his people out of Egypt, it was so that he could have a bride. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, these are regarded as the four I wills that the children of Israel proclaimed that he would do in bringing his people out of Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it is written, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. So the Hebrew word for take here is the Strong's number 3947. It's the Hebrew word lakak, which we're going to now see from Numbers chapter 12 verse 1 is translated as married. In Numbers chapter 12 verse 1 it is written, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he married an Ethiopian woman. So the word take, as in I will take you to me for a people, is translated as married in Numbers chapter 12 verse 1. So in other words, Yeshua brought his people out of Egypt to ultimately have a bride. So in the annual festival season, following Yom Kippur is Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, spiritually represents the completing of your task in your spiritual journey as you live your life. From the Orthodox Jewish prayer book for Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, it explains, As we have seen, the three pilgrimage festivals form a progression, from the birth of the nation on Passover, to the assumption of its mission on Shavuot, or Pentecost, to the successful completion of its task on Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So spiritually, Sukkot represents the completion of our spiritual journey, or fulfilling the will of God in our life, it spiritually represents our spiritual harvest because Sukkot is a festival of ingathering. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 and verse 16, it is written, Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. In the feast of harvest, that is the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, in the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. So Sukkot is called the season of our joy. And in Psalms chapter 126, we see that those that sow in tears, so you sow in tears when you come out of Egypt and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, when you make a commitment to do the will of God in your life, but you will reap in joy in your eternal reward in heaven. Psalm 126 verse 1 it is written, And when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Continuing in Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6, Those that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So as we grow in spiritual maturity, we see the vanity of the values of this world and pursuing the things of this world and the vanity of spending your life to acquire material gain. This is spiritually represented by the custom of the Jewish people to read the book of Ecclesiastes during the festival of Sukkot. 
And the major theme that Solomon expresses in the book of Ecclesiastes is the vanity of the things of this world and pursuing as a lifestyle the things of this world. So let's summarize this part of the teaching. Number one, in order to do the will of God in our lives, we must put off the thinking, behaviors, and ways of the world. Number two, in order to do the will of God in our lives, we must put on the mind of Yeshua, obey his Torah by his spirit, and dedicate our lives for his kingdom, the service of his kingdom, and to do his will in our lives. Number three, in our spiritual journey out of Egypt, it begins with Passover, which prophetically speaks of receiving Yeshua as Savior of our lives when we repent of our sins and receive his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Then we go to Mount Sinai. We receive and we learn the Torah or the Word of God. We renew our minds in him. We seek to follow it. And then we hear his voice and we seek to do his will in our lives which is represented by the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a harvest festival, and it represents the fulfillment or the completion of doing the will of God in our lives. Number four, when we see the harvest of seeking to do the will of God in our lives and see his promises fulfilled, our heart rejoices and it is the season of our joy. Number five, by doing the will of God in our lives, we will have eternal rest, which is Sabbath. And we will receive an eternal inheritance, which is to be his bride, who will live and dwell with him forever in the new Jerusalem. So now we're ready to leave the wilderness, cross the Jordan, confront the giants in the land, and make our way into the promised land by going to Jerusalem or Mount Zion. Our success in going into the land and defeating the giants in the land and inheriting our promised land through doing the will of God in our life is based upon obedience to the Torah of Yeshua. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 it is written, This book of the Torah shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. You have to cross the Jordan River in order to get to the Promised Land. The children of Israel had to cross the Jordan River in order to get to the Promised Land. In Joshua chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 it is written, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess. Jordan in Hebrew is the Strong's number 3383, and it's the Hebrew word Yarden. So Jordan or Yarden in Hebrew means to descend. So in Joshua chapter 1 verse 11, it says, You shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land. So when you go into the promised land, you are making Aliyah. You are ascending spiritually because you've left Egypt and you're coming out of the wilderness. However, in order to ascend into the promised land, you have to first descend, cross the Jordan. The destination in the promised land is to go to Jerusalem or Mount Zion. And spiritually, when you go to Jerusalem, you ascend, you go up to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 18 verse 31 it is written, Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. 
Historically, when the pilgrims journeyed to Jerusalem to keep the biblical festivals, as they went, they sang Psalms 120 to 134. And these 15 psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent. Going to Jerusalem is making spiritual ascent. In Luke chapter 2 verse 42 it is written, And when he, Yeshua, was twelve years old, they, that is Yeshua's parents, went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1 verse 18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. So we see literally the children of Israel crossed the Jordan when they went into the promised land. And we see that the Hebrew word for Jordan, Yarden, means to descend. So what is the spiritual meaning of this? In order to spiritually ascend, and we do so by seeking to do the will of God in our life, wherein in that process we crucify the flesh and we renew our mind to follow after the Torah and the word of God, that in doing so, we give up what the flesh wants to do. We give up doing our own will and lay down our lives to do the will of the God of Israel in our lives. John the Baptist, or Yochanan the Immerser, communicated this principle in John chapter 3, verse 27 and verse 30, where John answered and said, He, that is Yeshua, must increase, but I must decrease. So when we spiritually ascend in God, as we seek to do His will, as we spiritually go up to Jerusalem, the flesh must die, and we must give up our will to do His will. So spiritually, in order to ascend, we must first be brought low. We must descend. Yeshua taught us this principle through his death and resurrection. For in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 it is written, Now he that ascended, that is Yeshua speaking of his resurrection, what was it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So in order to ascend, we must first spiritually descend. We must humble ourselves before the God of Israel to do his will in our lives. And the Bible says that the humble will be exalted. And we humble ourselves when we seek to do his will in our life and lay down doing our own will. In Matthew chapter 23 verse 12, it is written, He that shall humble himself will be exalted. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 it is written, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. So next we're going to look at seven nations which opposed the children of Israel going into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 it is written, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess it and cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. So in the natural, these nations, because they were stronger than the children of Israel, they became as giants unto the children of Israel. But in defeating them, the God of Israel commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 2, that you make no covenant with them, but utterly destroy them. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 2, it is written, And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. So these seven nations and their practices, they oppose the ways of the God of Israel. And the God of Israel didn't want his people to learn or, or to partake of the ways of these nations. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18, it is written, But of the cities of these people which the Lord your God does give you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, that they teach you not to do after their abominations, which they have done unto their gods. So these nations which represent giants to the children of Israel, that the God of Israel said that he would drive out from before them, they are regarded as beasts of the field. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 22 it is written, And the Lord your God will put out these nations before you little and little. You may not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon you. And then in Exodus chapter 23 verse 30 it is written, By little and little I will drive them out from before you, until you be increased and inherit the land. So these seven nations spiritually represent those things and those obstacles which oppose us from doing the will of God in our lives. In the book, The Inner Meaning of the Hebrew Letters, on page 119, by Robert Herlich, he gives this explanation. The other nations that are driven out of the land stand for that part of our value system and expectations that are not in accord with godliness. So now we're going to look at these seven nations and we're going to see what they spiritually represent by breaking down their names in the Hebrew. First, we're going to look at the Hittites. The Hittites spiritually represent discouragement and terror. From the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters on page 211, Robert Herlich explains that Hittite in Hebrew is Hatti. This word is related to Hatit, which means to frighten or tear. We can see how the Hittites represent discouragement and tear from Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 21 as it is written. Behold, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has said unto you. Fear not, neither be discouraged. So the word discouraged is the Strong's number 2865 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary and it's the Hebrew word hatat which means to be dismayed, discouraged, or be afraid. So the Hittites, or Hatti in Hebrew, comes from the Hebrew word Het, or tear, which comes from the root Hatat, to be dismayed, discouraged, or afraid. Next, we're going to look at the Girgashites. Girgashites in Hebrew is the Strong's number 1622, which is the Hebrew word Girgashi. And this word means dwelling on a clay soil. So clay represents the earth or the ground. And the ground is associated with those things that are earthly. So the Girgashites represents focusing on those things that are earthly and viewing things from our natural eyesight. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 it is written, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess it, and he has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites. So given that Girgashite in Hebrew means dwelling on a clay soil, or that which refers to the ground or the earth, which represents natural eyes or carnal thinking, spiritually the Girgashites represent natural eyesight, natural logic, and human reasoning. And it was natural eyesight and natural human reasoning 
which caused the ten spies to give a report to the rest of the children of Israel that because of the giants in the land, in that through natural reasoning and rationale, they are mightier and stronger than the children of Israel, and thus natural logic and human reasoning concludes that when we go into the land, they will defeat us. So in Numbers chapter 13, verse 31 and verse 33, it is written, But the men that went up with them said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So instead of walking with natural eyesight and human logic and reasoning, when it contradicts with the already stated promises of God based upon his covenant faithfulness, that is why Paul taught us that we walk by faith, that is trusting and believing the promises of God based upon his covenant faithfulness and not by our natural eyesight, which is human reasoning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it is written, While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it is written, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Next, we're going to look at the Amorites. In breaking down the meaning of Amorites in Hebrew, we're going to see they represent boasting, pride, and those who speak against us. From the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters on page 211 by Robert Herlich, he explains, Amorite in Hebrew is Amori. This is related to the root Amar, which means to say. The heat pa'el form of this root is heat Amer, which means to boast or to be overproud. So the Amorites represents boasting and pride. And literally, we are told in Numbers chapter 13, verse 29, that the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And then in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it is written, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So because Amorites in Hebrew means to speak or say, and it represents those who speak against us, through boasting or pride, we can see an example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 and verse 10, where Goliath, who was of the Philistines, boasted or spoke against the nation of Israel and against their God. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 and verse 10, it is written, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Next, we're going to look at the Canaanites. Canaan in Hebrew means a merchant. And if we break down the word Canaanite in the Hebrew, it means to suppress, oppress, or be depressed. So it means to be subdued or to be brought low. From the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters by Robert Herlek on page 211, he explains, Canaanite in Hebrew is Canaani. This is a cognate or related to the root kana, which means to oppress ourselves, to be depressed, to be mournful. We can also see how Canaan means a merchant. In Hosea chapter 12 verse 7 it says, For he, that is Ephraim, the northern kingdom, is a merchant. So merchant is the Strong's number 3667, and it's the Hebrew word kanan, which means to be brought low. It also means a merchant or a trader. Then in Isaiah chapter 23 verse 8, Who has taken this counsel against Tyre, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers, kanan, are the glory of the earth? 
So we see how this word is associated with commerce or merchandising. So Canaanites comes from the Hebrew root kana, which means to be brought low. One form of being brought low is to be humbled. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it is written, If my people which are called by my name shall be brought low, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So the word humble here is the Strong's number 3665. It's the Hebrew word kana. It means to be brought low, to be humbled, to be subdued, to be brought into subjection. In Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 6, it is written, Whereupon the princes of Israel... Well, that's going to conclude part 18 of the series on the subject, Our Spiritual Journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.